Right now, though, we are starting with news out of the Vancouver Police Department, and the office is investigating a spike in vandalism that is targeting several churches in the city of Vancouver. Joining me to talk more about this is Media Relations Officer Sergeant Steve Addison. Thanks so much for being with us today. No problem, Jill. Uh, so when has this been happening and how many churches have been affected? Yeah, so far, we've uh, had 13 uh, instances at various churches and church properties in Vancouver dating back to about June 2nd. Um, most of these incidents have occurred at night. Uh, some of them have occurred over weekends. And really, we're just uh, asking for people because we're concerned about the the sharp increase in in incidents. We're asking people to be vigilant, to be aware if they see something suspicious in their neighborhood, around a church, if they see suspicious activity, to call police right away so that we can send officers out to investigate. Are they targeting specific types of churches? Well, the, the majority of the churches that have been uh, have been targeted are Catholic churches. Uh, they are all churches of the Christian denomination. And the spike that we've seen since June 2nd in, in, in these mischiefs and property crimes that have occurred certainly does correlate with the um, the discovery of the unmarked graves at various residential schools in Kamloops and other parts of uh, British Columbia and other parts of Canada. So we're investigating all of the circumstances to try and understand who's responsible for this, what their motivation was, and to, pr- to try to really put an end to it because we're concerned that with this uh, incidents happening this frequently, we're worried that there could be an escalation of uh, of crimes and that uh, somebody could get badly hurt. At this point, the the crimes have all been property crimes. Uh, nobody has been hurt, but we're we're very concerned that uh, it could escalate. And when you talk about the connection, then, or the possible connection to the discovery of the burial sites, uh, I know there was mention of at least in one of the cases there was graffiti. Does the graffiti or what was written on that church indicate that there is that connection? Yeah. So, in I mean, we're de- we're de- dealing with um, thirteen different cases in uh, 11 or 12 different locations. So um, it's hard to speak specifically uh, about every case, but it, there have been um, instances where uh, there have been signs and graffiti that has made reference to residential schools, yes. Uh, have you? Is there surveillance video or have you been able to get any uh, footage that shows suspects? So right now it's this, uh, file has been ha- being handled by our property crime section and their job is to go out and collect evidence. That evidence includes witness uh, accounts, um, identifying potential suspects, looking for surveillance video that may um, be present, whether it's at the locations that were vandalized themselves or elsewhere in the neighborhood. And we're in the process of collecting all of that uh, evidence right now and analyzing it. I don't want to get into specific information about uh, specific pieces of evidence that we're collecting, but certainly that's something that we're looking into, uh, whether or not there's uh, there's video that might show these crimes occurring. Uh, because I know in one of the the notes that your department put out uh, in the case where a church near Little Mountain was vandalized on June 8th, it references four people dressed in black that threw paint on the property, put up signs and, and painted that graffiti. Uh, so I'm, I guess I'm wondering, is there other surveillance video or, or do you believe that the four people that were seen there are also responsible for the other crimes or it could be more people? Okay, so um, with regards to um, uh, specific descriptions of individuals, I can't speak specifically to the case in Little Mountain, but 
we're getting descriptions and evidence from various sources that could include uh, witnesses, video, other sources of information. And in a lot of these cases, uh, these churches, these church buildings are occupied uh, 24-7, so there are people on site. So we're gathering information from various sources. As for who's responsible, that's something that's uh, still um, very much under investigation. Uh, we believe that there's likely a, a loose-knit group of people that are responsible for a number of these uh, these crimes. However, we're also concerned that there may be others uh, who have already been emboldened or inspired by what they've seen to commit further crimes. And we're getting the word out now because we don't want more people to become emboldened and inspired by this um, to, and to continue to commit crimes so uh, to the point where people could be uh, put in danger or there could be some serious, more serious property damage. Uh, you mentioned, too, that in a lot of cases, these are churches where they are occupied and there are people mm-hmm. there. Uh, one of the other was the, the South Canby Church where the pastor uh, noticed, uh, was it uh, lighter fluid mm-hmm. and rags at the side of the building, but also saw somebody uh, standing or saw somebody that looked suspicious. So that I would imagine that's got to help with the investigation. Yeah, so the case you're talking about happened on July 20th, and there was a pastor who was doing his, his early morning rounds at a church in the South Canby neighborhood of Vancouver, and he saw a suspicious person standing in the middle of the road looking at the church. Um, he continued to do his rounds, and he found a, a gallon container of uh, flammable fluid, like lighter fluid, as well as some rags. Um, we were uh, we were notified of that. We're investigating that incident now to see if there's any connection between the person who was standing in the road as well as the discovery of these these items that will form part of our investigation but when things like that occur we need people to phone the police right away phone 911 if you see suspicious activity around a church or in your neighborhood if you think there's a crime in progress because we need to send officers out there right away to hopefully catch um, these uh, whoever's responsible for this catch them before they do it or if we're not able to get there in time to prevent them from doing it catch them as they're leaving the area so we can hold these people accountable. Uh, are police ramping up patrols around churches or doing anything like that? Well, we're, we're obviously aware that this is a, uh, a significant spike. So we're, uh, we're paying a, a significant amount of attention to churches and church properties. We're wor- working with religious leaders. We're working with, uh, with various churches to, that have already been affected by this to do some safety planning. And we're also communicating with other churches that haven't yet been affected by this and hopefully won't be uh, to create a safety plan. And part of that is us having this conversation right now, Jill, to encourage people to phone the police if they see something suspicious, if they see a crime in progress, so that we can investigate and hold people accountable and, you- and, and really put an end to this because it's we don't want it to escalate any more than it has. Are you suggesting or or telling churches to perhaps also hire security or enhance their security measures? So I'm not specifically suggesting that as a blanket recommendation to churches. That might be something that um, that churches may consider on their own. And, and there have been some cases where we've had that discussion with uh, churches as part of uh, our safety planning steps. There was a church that did receive some threats uh, that somebody was going to burn down uh, the church or set fire to it. And as part of our safety planning um, with that investigation, uh, I believe we did recommend that they hire some security. But it's, it's, it's not a blanket recommendation that we're making to all churches. Uh, however, we will work closely with uh, churches that have already been affected and others that haven't uh, to make sure that everybody's safe.
When you say the church received threats as well, do you know if any of the churches that you've listed or that have been vandalized, do you know if there were threats that were made to those churches leading up to that? We did have one one case in South Vancouver on Canada Day where we received information that somebody was uh, was planning or threatening to set fire to a church. Uh, however, the majority, uh, and, and fortunately that uh, did not occur, um, the majority of the cases that we're investigating here in Vancouver, almost all of them in fact, are involve property crimes. They involve mischiefs, rocks being thrown through windows, uh, graffiti being uh, uh, painted on walls, uh, paint being splattered, uh, signs being posted uh, on, on church properties. All right. We'll leave it there and uh, hopefully people get this message and this stops. Uh, But Sergeant Addison, thanks so much for joining us and updating us on this. My pleasure. Well, we have been keeping a close watch on the wildfires burning in BC and we will have an update on that from a fire information officer a bit later on in the program. One of the other stories, though, has to do with a very active fight to save a large number, hundreds of ostriches on a BC farm, that farm surrounded by those wildfires. And joining me now to talk a little bit more about this is Dave Belinsky, Chief Operating Officer for the Universal Ostrich Farms Incorporated. Thank you so much for being with us. Good afternoon. Uh, how are things going? Uh, stressful. Yeah, the birds are safe right now. Um, should to talk a little bit about the fire situation first. Sure. This area burned in 1938, and it's called Fire Valley. <sighs> Don't mind me. I'll get a little emotional here. That's okay. Um, and right now, the two fires that are here have reached a Category 6. Hi. Hello. I'm here as well. Um, I'm... Karen Esperson. I'm Dave Belinsky's business partner with the Ostrich. Uh, we, we thought we'd both kind of be on just in case one got too emotional through this. Abs- uh, absolutely. Thanks. Thank you, Karen. And, and thanks for joining us as well. Okay. With the category, like these fires have reached a category six. Um, we probably have uh, three days, two days, just depending on fires. And winds. <laughs> We just actually had a very, very good meeting with the structure protectional specialist, uh, Kevin Belgrano, and it was a very good meeting. He went over everything that we, we've got set up here. We're set up to stay. Uh, we've made a place by the river. So it'll be a meeting point for our neighbors are creating a fire break on their adjoining, the adjoining property across the river. And they're doing a fire break right now, and we've all got it. But if they need to flee, uh, we have a place at the river that has been mowed and we've been tending to as a local spot for people to come. The thing is, with the fires, we expect that the highway will be closed. Um, The fire that's coming towards us will more than likely reach right to Highway 6, and it'll be closed. We're kind of expecting that BC Hydro is going to go down a fair bit uh, because of power lines and uh, the cell tower. We're very blessed right now that uh, we we have these resources and and now that we, we're feeling a little bit more confident that we had the structural uh, 
professionals here going over how to, and this is one thing we really wanted to stress with people when they are leaving their their buildings or the people that have stayed behind that it might be evacuating is to do a fire safe band around your property. Make sure all your windows and doors are closed, your mats are taken in. If you have flowers with peat in them, move them away from the structure. Just make it as safe as possible so that when the fire comes through, that your your structure might still be there when you come back. That's very, very good advice because you're right. We often see that when fire goes through an area, sometimes there are still some structures that the structure beside it is gone and another structure survives. And it's likely because a lot of, of a lot of those measures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other thing is to get a sprinkler over top um, of your house. It's important that the sprinkler is maybe 10, 20 feet above your roof line. And that creates a, a protection zone. I know you've had pumps going and hoses going and wetting everything down on the property. How are the ostriches doing? Uh, they're doing okay. They're a little bit smoke stressed, but they're still producing eggs. And uh, yeah, crazy enough, we go and we're like, "You guys are still laying eggs." <laughs> Yes, and there's there's approximately 500 ostrich here, and we've opened up a crowded the ostrich together a bit and opened up uh, two areas for neighboring animals to come if somebody needs uh, another area to put their animals. And we're asking that if if anybody in the area that has stayed, if they do decide to leave, uh, we are we've been so blessed with the resources out there of people that are coming forward and bringing in some pretty amazing resources, uh, including we have a helicopter that is going to drop a load of supplies and some feed. And we're asking, we've got uh, Cam at, and TNA Rockworks that they've got helicopters coming in with some resources. Gina from Animal Auxiliary in Vernon, uh, We just talked with her, and she's bringing in a whole bunch of feed for the animals, and we're trying to line it up so that if there's horses, uh, we've got possibly three horses coming, four pigs and a cow, Um, but we're opening it up that if other people that do evacuate, if they want to let us know that all the feed that we're getting taken in, we, we will go to your animals if we can. If you can't, bring them here. We will try and work to accommodate them in any which way because, as we said, with the 500 ostrich, we're not leaving. Um, We have three pumps uh, right now, a 1,000 feet of fire hose and sprinklers, four large sprinklers, and uh, we're keeping everything going as well as we can here. And you mentioned, too, for the people that have stayed behind, and from what I understand, your community, Edgewood, has been, uh, the evacuation order is put in place. Have many others, or do you know if many others have also stayed behind? Yes. um, Another one is absolutely incredible, is our store did close down when the evacuation order uh, was put out there. And the owners have turned around and since then realized they put it out in the group, the Edgewood group, about how many people were staying, if they didn't mind saying it. And quite a few people did respond that had animals or some reason that they needed to stay. And they said for now, they were staying until the fire got really close. 
Um, so the store has been amazing. They are trying to restock the store and keep the gas going, keep as many amenities for the community, for the people that have had to stay. And and you mentioned uh, that uh, the ostriches are, are doing okay. They're a little bit stressed by the smoke. What is the, the air quality like? What is it like being in, in Edgewood right now? Terrible. It's, you can't see the side of the hills. Um, and as the afternoons go, we get strong winds. And when those winds pick up, uh, you start seeing a lot of ash floating through the air. Everything gets covered in ash right now. And our biggest worry is the embers, and this is what we're we're really protecting from, is if any embers fall, that we'll be able to put them out as fast as possible. But it's quite, quite smoky here right now. And how far is the wildfire from where you are? We think it's about uh, between 10 to 12 kilometers, something like that. We're not 100% sure with the communication problems. Um, but it's not the, the main wildfire that we're concerned about. It's the embers starting something closer right. and then that exploding because this is the dry. <laughs> I've, my first fire that I was on was 54 years ago. And in that time, I've never seen conditions like this. Um, and yeah, the big thing right now, like we said, is just, uh, there's a fire there. We noted or we're told that the Bench Creek fire just above us got to one and a half hectares. So that picked up again. And uh, they're saying that the um, Mashad Creek fire has now jumped Johnston Creek this morning. And that was one of their checkpoints that they were quite worried about, that if it jumped there and then it has to go through an old burn yet. But they're afraid at this point that it's going to go around, going, it is going west, and they're afraid it's going to hit the hillsides and then come down the valley. Hmm. And, and uh, this might sound like an absolutely ridiculous question, but I'm guessing people might be wondering if there's any way you can get the animals and get out. But uh, I can't imagine how you would be able to even start to think about that, getting 500 ostriches in, into some type of uh, some, some finding some way to get them all out. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's virtually not, impossible. That, that's not an option. We the, best, <laughs> the best option is where they are. Um, you know, the fields are fairly fuel-free from a fire perspective. Except for the hay, but um, the structural uh, Kevin that was here from... He's just the structure specialist. Mm. He had just said, like, to right now for the hay fields that are up against the fence post to, we're about to do this right after the meeting, we're going out with weed whackers and we are going to knock down a foot and take um, some watering cans just to make sure nothing gets fueled. But we're going to create just a foot barrier because the ostrich pens themselves, because it's been so dry, uh, we have a few green spots where we've been putting sprinklers and moving them around. But there's really nothing left in their pastures or in half of the pastures. I shouldn't say um, half. We have some tall weeds, but we don't want to cut them down because we are scared that that could create more of a fuel situation at this point.
Right. And Dave, just to, I just wanted to ask you, you, you said that you, you, know, you fought, first fought a fire more than 50 years ago. You've never seen these conditions. Do you mean the dry conditions or what exactly? What is different this year? Well, the climate is changing, obviously. And this year we were really short of the spring rains. Um, all the farmers everywhere in the province, I believe, their crops are way down. And with that dryness in the winds that we've been getting, um, these fires flare up. And there's a, once a, once a fire gets to a certain size and gets to a Category 6, there's nothing you can do. You can't stop it. You just have to protect what you can. And just looking forward, uh, the terrain and everything and the fuel sources that are out there, this fire could reach Highway 6 relatively quickly, you know, like in a matter of 10 days. And when that happens, then we are totally blocked off from any way out. Well, we are definitely thinking of you and hoping for the very, very best. And uh, we know you're doing everything you can to save uh, the ostriches, to save uh, your property and save the farm. So thank you so much for taking yeah. some time and with it, us. It's not, it's not just us in the valley here. There's, uh, there's going to be probably a, a dozen or so farms that are going to where everybody's going to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, it, it's beyond just our ostrich operation. It's the dairy operation, the beef operations, vegetable farms. It's going to impact everyone. All right. Well, thank you and so much. Everybody's oh, holding together. That that's, That is good to hear. Well, hopefully we can check back with you and it will be a good news update. But thanks again, both of you, so much for coming on the show. It was really nice to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. We're taking a few moments to remember the great Alex Trebek. I know a lot of people, myself included, still really miss seeing Alex Trebek hosting Jeopardy. He was also very involved with the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, and the society is now honoring his life and legacy. They have launched something called the Trebek Initiative. And joining me to talk more about that is David Court, Honorary Chair with the Trebek Initiative. Thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me, Jill. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about how involved Alex Trebek was with the society? Yes. Um, He he was actually involved both with RCGS and actually with National Geographic. So with with the Royal Canadian Society, he started uh, very early, I'll I'll call it helping out. Uh, RCGS does a lot of education. He had done a lot of work in that from way back when, when he was on Front Page Challenge. He then became a, uh, a donor and helped in the uh, ph- philanthropy and the running of RCGS. He actually ended up as the uh, honorary president for a number of years before his passing. Uh, amazing that he was so passionate about that uh, and was so involved. So let's kind of fast forward and uh, to honor Alex Trebek and on what would have been his birthday, uh, going ahead with this uh, Trebek initiative. And what is that all about? It is a, uh, a new grant-making program uh, that aims to uh, promote and help emerging Canadian explorers, scientists, educators, photographers, and help them tell their story uh, 
and do their research with a mission of trying to ignite a greater passion to preserve among all Canadians. The program will be between four and 500000 in annual grants. Uh, that probably will be in the range of supporting between 10 and 15 young Canadians each year. And how will you get people involved, or what do people need to know about who could apply for this? Right. So, um, in a way, there are no restrictions on who could apply. If you thought you were interested, you would go to our site, uh, trebecinitiative.com, and it will explain more uh, about how it would uh, work. But at the same time, we have been doing a lot of uh, outreach uh, to uh, academics, to uh, photographers, to associations, to, to let them know that this is, uh, this is coming. Uh, we've had uh, even our, I'll call it soft launch, we've had over 100 inquiries already. We are offering um, webinars uh, to explain more about how it works. And then one of the interesting things is because, I'll say, we want to give grants, uh, when people inquire, one of the uh, program officers from either National Geographic or RCGS will get involved and, and help uh, put together what the proposal would be so that it's most likely to meet the uh, criteria. Interesting, because it does seem very open as far as uh, when we say we we're, uh, we're calling out the explorers, scientists, educators, storytellers, photographers, it seems like it's a very wide range of people that would qualify and what kinds of things they would be doing. Which is exactly what we would like. I, my, uh, the way I got connected here, I have been, I'm Canadian, but I've been down in the States for a number of years, and I, I did a lot of this work with National Geographic, who has programs like this in a number of countries around the world, just not Canada, uh, and hence why we're doing uh, the Trebek Initiative now. But what we've learned uh, around the world is if we can get these uh, uh, younger people and teach them the idea of how you do storytelling very well, even though it is broad, it's connected to one thing, which is preserving the environment that we have in Canada. And that seems to have worked in other countries, and we're betting it's going to work quite well in Canada. I understand, too, you've got the, the blessing of uh, Alex's family members and people who were close to him as well that, that uh, are really seem really uh, very supportive of this, saying this is something that Alex Trebek would have absolutely loved. Yes, well, he actually agreed. Uh, He was actually the honorary chair. I was the chair, not that it matters. But he connected to us probably over a year ago. uh, uh, And when we were describing the concept of it, and he agreed to put his name behind it. Now, since his passing, his family and and Jean, his uh, widow, have been incredibly uh, supportive of this. And, uh, And so... It's, uh, it's going to be a great legacy to him, but it actually uh, it, it got his blessing to begin with. Uh, which, which is even better. Uh, do you, will there be certain parts of Canada, or will it focus on, on certain parts of the country to start off with, or will there be any kind of parameters in that way? Uh, no, it's interesting. If you look at the, uh, uh, the early um, inquiries and applications that we've had, they go right across the country. We've had, uh, we've had several in B.C. Uh, we've got a number in the uh, Arctic. 
Uh, we've got a number in uh, eastern Canada. Uh, we don't have Newfoundland yet, but we'll get them uh, eventually. So we really, it, we, we are open to things from across the country because one of the things we're trying to promote is the diversity uh, that we have in this country, and people are just unaware of the beauty and the issues that we have in, across the country, and that's what we're trying to promote. And again, really, is it kind of bring your imagination when you're doing the applications or or does it walk people through kind of what's being looked for? Um, So we do have these four areas that we are looking for, which is promoting unique eco zones in Canada, doing research on uh, wildlife, wilderness and water uh, preservation, uh, uh, photography, uh, to uh, to let people see what is out there, and then uh, on uh, culture and uh, anthropology, just you know that that side of our of our history. So there are those areas we are trying to promote people to use their imagination. I mentioned I started this with National Geographic. We've done over five thousand grants mm-hmm. around the world. So you can just imagine the uh, the range that it is uh, that is covered globally, and I don't think there's any need right now to, um, uh, to, to 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 curtail them. The only thing we've done is say, if you're going to be working in an area, uh, then you must involve uh, the local people, and that may be. Uh, that may be Inuit, it may be Indigenous, it may just be the, the town there, but we're not going to have, I'll call it, fly-in research. Uh, it's just by its nature, it's got to uh, have local involvement. And by the way, that's happening all the time. All right. And uh, you mentioned this, uh, so four to $500,000. Is there a limit for each grant or, or how many grants will be handed out? Yeah, well... Um, uh, w- w- our target is in the range of twenty to fifty thousand, uh, and and that seems to be the, to to see the first few that are uh, th- that are being delivered. That seems to be where we're at. Uh, we haven't had one come along a lot more and have to say we can't do that, but it could happen. But right now, that's the target. Remember, we're after people that are doing their first, second, third. Uh, a piece of research or or photography exposition, and therefore that number tends to be uh, a, a appropriate. Particularly, you know, after that, there may be ways to do it, but they'll probably have other people than us involved in giving them sponsorship. All right. Well, it is a very very interesting initiative, David. Thank you so much for joining us to talk more about this today. Appreciate your time. Okay, Jill. Thank you so much. So I got this email from a listener yesterday. I won't identify the listener, but hopefully this person doesn't mind me sharing this. Uh, Wrote wrote to me saying, I found out yesterday that I won't be allowed on celebrity cruise lines because I have had one AstraZeneca and one Moderna shot. I have a cruise credit that needs to be booked by April of next year. And if they don't change their policy about mixing vaccines, then I will lose my money. This listener then signed off and in the signature tent, added working from home with three cats, two birds, one gecko, and one very annoying adult son. 
I think this listener needs a vacation. But again, problems trying to book a cruise and not the only person. We're seeing other cases of this as well. So let's check in with Claire Newell, founder and president of Travel Best Bets. Claire, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Joe. I really love how that person signed up. <laughs> and I, I agree. They need a vacation. Um, but what I can say is I'm getting inundated with people, of course, concerned about this type of thing, not just for cruising, but also for Europe, who is some countries are saying that they're not accepting mixed doses. What I can tell you is I'm a girl who's had mixed doses. So I'm AstraZeneca Moderna, just like Justin Trudeau. Um, but this is still being worked on. So everyone needs to chill. This is evolving every week, and the federal government is working on this with the international community. I really believe that science is going to prevail in the coming weeks. Um, and, and An example of the science and, and things changing, Jill, was last week, only three of the EU countries accepted Shield. So there's 275,000 people that here that have received Shield. It's the AstraZeneca that was made in the Indian facility. Mm-hmm. As of right. today, 17 are accepting it. So that was just one week. So three to 17. And I believe more will follow. Um, an example, um, the UK and Greece already accept mixed doses. So I've actually spoken to several of the cruise lines and a lot of them have, have got this policy up. Right now, of course, they're dealing with CDC, which from US ports really is giving them the advice. I believe in time that it will change. So right now, it may affect a very, very small number of people who may have bookings like August, September, October. vast majority of people have them into 2022. So um, this is something that I will keep everybody up to date on, but I believe that it will be dealt with, and this is not going to be an issue for Canadians. We're, we're a G7 country, Jill, and right. we were advised by our our government. Um, and I think that the science will, will prevail and show that what we've done having mixed doses is we're, we're vaccinated. So I, I just think that people should, should just stay calm until we get the dust settling. So what advice would you give then for this listener? Because I'm guessing there are other people as well that have right. cruise credits that have a, an expiry date on them. And, and like in this case, she say, she's saying it needs to be booked by April of next year. Right. So I would book something and get something on the book that she's keen for in 2022. I, I, I would prefer right now that they did that people booked into 2022 rather than for something imminent, even though they may be able to, to fly somewhere. The you know, we just want to make sure that they will be able to get on board these cruises if she makes a booking. Uh, into 2022, there'll be plenty of time to change it if need be without it affecting her or her losing any money. So it sounds yeah. So it sounds like you're quite confident then that this is going to be remedied. That people, because I'm I'm the same with you with the mixed vaccine as well. Are so you? people in that scenario will be able to access vacations and these different areas. Yeah, I know that Europe is a big concern too, but the UK and Greece already accept mixed doses. I expect more will be coming. It's just there, you know, what the what the Canadian government is working on behind the scenes with the international community. We're just having to wait for the information to come down.
Uh, what are your thoughts as well? So we're now seeing in France that they've gone ahead and brought in the COVID-19 vaccine passport. And right. this is, uh, they're saying, because of the the huge increase in the Delta variant cases. I know there was a protest uh, in the streets last night, but this is for things like museums, sports venues, and other places, really public places, where you have to have uh, either the proof of vaccination or a negative test. Yeah, and, and that's really an interesting situation there. I don't know if that will ever come to Canada. It certainly won't be happening in the U.S. because the U.S. doesn't even want it at the border. Like, if you fly into the U.S., you don't have to show anything other than an antigen test. You can fly there without vaccine. It's coming back that you have to prove that you've got the vaccine so you can get around the 14-day quarantine. Um, but I don't see it coming in um, here. But certainly there will be places where uh, countries, companies, and, and like where you have to show that vaccine or you're not getting in. And and this, it'll just vary depending on which country you're going to. Really important to find out what each country requires. And there's the best website that I've gone to is covidcontrols.co. It'll tell you what's going on in that country and what you're going to need going into it. You know, it's a luxury to go to into someone else's country and they can decide whatever they want. If it's proof of vaccine or it's just a test, it's up to them. So with something like this in France, a health pass, what do you, is it too early for us to know or what do you anticipate when we do start traveling again and when Canadians start going to France, do you think, is it a matter of Canadians will also have to get that? Likely, yes, to be able to get into like the big crowded venues and things like that. I actually have an agent who uh, lives in France. And so we're going to get some of that information up to date. But I suspect that even though she's Canadian, she's there. If she wants to go into big concerts and things like that, she will have to have proof of vaccine. All right. You mentioned, too, uh, and I know you've been asked about this quite a bit, but right. uh, there is still some confusion when you talked about avoiding the 14-day quarantine if you're a right. fully vaccinated person. So there is still some confusion on what you need to do to do that. So can you clarify a bit for people yeah. on exactly what's needed? But there's just so much confusion. And yeah, uh, the confusion about the changes to the quarantine rules that came into effect July the 5th. So this is for anyone who's a Canadian citizen or a PR who is coming back into Canada, there are some things you absolutely have to have if you want to be exempt from the 14-day quarantine. The first is that you have to have both doses 14 days prior to coming back into Canada. You have to upload everything into the ArriveCan app. You have to have a PCR test within 72 hours of your flight or getting to that land border. Otherwise, with the, without those three things, you're not going to qualify for that quarantine exemption. And who really wants to spend 14 days in quarantine when they get back? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're also, I don't know how much time we have, Jill, but We've there's, lost. there's still a lot of confusion about land and air travel between the U.S. I actually have really close friends. I've got some extended family who said, well, what do I like? Do I have to show what vaccines do I have to show into the U.S.? Um, so the reality is, is if you're flying to the U.S., um, you don't have to show any vaccine proof at all. You just need an antigen test when you're flying into mainland U.S. So you've always been able to fly there. I know that it's confusing because you can't drive across the border, but you can fly there. They will likely never require proof of vaccination. Only Canada on return just to avoid that 14-day quarantine. That's what really why you're 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 um, having to upload that information and the proof of the vaccine into the ArriveCan app. 
other popular places people are confused about as well, like Mexico, you just have to, you don't even have to have a test to go to Mexico. You just need to fill out this form. And it's kind of similar to, you know, the little tourist card you have to do if you ever visited Mexico. It's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. For Hawaii, a little different than mainland U.S., you actually have to have a PCR test and it has to be at one of the approved labs that the Safe Travels program um, uh, lists. And you can find that list if you Google State of Hawaii Safe Travels. And then there will be links to the labs here in BC that you actually have to use in order to travel there with that PCR test. So, um, and again, you can see whichever destination you're looking at travel, yourself traveling to at covidcontrols.co. It's not confusing. It's so, so, so easy to use. And I encourage everyone to keep that in their favorites if they're planning any trip at all. Uh, like you mentioned, so if somebody right now then is planning to fly into the United States, so when you mentioned, mm-hmm. so you don't, vaccine, it doesn't matter. They don't care no. about your vaccine status. The test, though, are you responsible of doing that test yourself or do you do you it are. at the airport? It is something you have to do. Yeah, you you have to pay for that. Um, I happened I happened to get the, this information for my husband who went to California last week on business. It was about a hundred dollars for that rapid antigen test. He did it. Uh, there was a couple of different choices because we live near the airport, so he could have done it at the airport the day before he left, or there was a clinic um, in Carisdale, close to where we live, and he he could have arranged it there. So there are places that you can do that. It's the cheaper of the you know antigen or PCR the gold standard is PCR he could have had that it was just like I think it was like 85 bucks more and so he didn't need it so he, he didn't get it he just got the rapid antigen test and then coming back he'll be able to then also um, not quarantine if he meets the That's requirements right. that you just explained yeah and he did he did meet all of the requirements he came through just slick as anything and was didn't have to quarantine at all it's amazing how much things have changed as we've been talking about this throughout the pandemic. And even though there is still some confusion and things are still changing, uh, just being able to talk about this and people freely moving around again. Yeah, I know. It, it's true. I actually, uh, I was really worried I wasn't going to be able to fly down to help my daughter settle in into Arizona in early September when she starts her master's program down in Arizona. And now I've got that on the books and I'm planning to go in early September to 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 fly there and actually about a week later going to Las Vegas with my best friend to go see the Keith Urban concert so I'm going to be careful I'm going to be wearing my mask um, but these trips are planned and I'm going all right well thanks so much for joining us uh, to clarify again so uh, and just in case anybody missed that as well so if you are somebody that cruises maybe you have a cruise credit you're worried because you have mixed vaccines wait as we are expecting hopefully for some clarity and things to be uh, cleared up there you got it all right claire always good to talk with you thank you so much my pleasure jill thanks claire newell is the founder and president of travel best bets again talking about the latest all the information you need to know when it comes to traveling uh, making sure you've got the right information the right vaccine information if you need that if you are planning traveling anytime in the near future let's take a short break stay with us right here on cknw